Hey guys, thanks for tuning in again to Mentors for Military. If you haven't already listened to our last episode on 349, go back and listen to that one before this one here. It'll give you a head start on what we're talking about and a little bit of the backstory. Thanks so much for everybody who's supporting us on Patreon, and I hope you enjoy this show. Phil, we want to get back into the conversation of your return and, you know, you just spoke of your wife that had also gone down and gone through same, some of the same healing and recovery and everything. But I think it might be helpful for the listeners to understand that it's not the magic bullet. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit and the process. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I think some people may look at psychedelics and think, well, I'm just going to go down. I'll go down to Peru. I'll do ayahuasca. I'll come back. PTSD gone. I'm good, um, but it's it's a lot harder than that in a lot of ways. You know, the the ceremony itself is is the catalyst. You know, the the ceremony can show you what's possible, and then it's up to you to figure out how you want to curate that for the rest of your life. Um, for me, uh, I got home from Peru, and it wasn't as if I was full of questions, but I had. It's almost as if I had this book that was written in Sanskrit, and I needed somebody to translate it for me. Um, you know, Jared was my translator, really. You know, you're your own teacher. You know, I'm, I'm my own, you know, guru when it comes to the lessons that I needed to internalize from it. But you're essentially, you know, you're taking a trip to to the cosmos, and you come back, and you've seen all these things, and you've heard all these things, and um, sometimes you need help interpreting it. So. Having an integration coach, uh, you know, having Jared as my integration coach, um, and constantly working on myself uh, w- was key. The first thing I did when I got home was take time for just my, for myself. Um, I had to block out all distractions. I, you know, I couldn't listen to the radio. Certain music would, would even would even set me off or trigger me. These feelings that were, you know, dis- discomfort being around certain people. And then the process was really this slow integration of things and of people and of experiences back into my life and figuring out what I was going to keep and what it was that I was going to set aside. Um, for example, you know, I was, a, I was a really heavy drinker for years and years and years. Um, I think a few weeks after I got back, I said, well, I'm going to try to drink. I just want to see what it feels like. Uh, and it felt terrible. It just didn't feel good in me anymore. Uh, there wasn't an urge for it. When I tried it, it just, it just didn't sit right. Um, I realized I used to bite my nails my entire life. I didn't even bite my nails anymore. I didn't want to bite them. I didn't want to do any, anything that was not healthy for me or my body. I just stopped doing. Um, but I had to figure out what was sustainable of the things. You know, I, I stopped eating pork. It was part of our diet uh, going in. So I stopped eating pork for a while, and then I slowly integrated it back, and I realized, and this is just one example, that the next time I ate like barbecue pork, it just felt terrible in my body. So I said, okay, well, then maybe I'm not going to eat pork for a little while. So there's like an acquired sensitivity or awareness it is uh, in your own space both mentally and sounds like a lot physically as well like there's a lot of physical benefits that just kind of gives you that blank space right it's your entire and this not necessarily for everyone but for me the the experience that i had i was washed clean i was a completely blank slate you know 
I was telling him when we got in the car, we got in the rental car from the airport, um, I had 1940s wartime radio playing on my phone. And I said, you have to forget, I, know, I don't know if you like this kind of music, but I, when I got back from Peru, I started listening to oldies. And I love music from the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. And that's just one example of things that I, that I, I started liking when I got back, but I never, I watched MASH from start to finish. And it's the most incredible show and I never would have given it a chance. But it's, it makes me cry sometimes how beautiful it is and like how much they get it, war and death and, and also love and camaraderie. Um, so for me, when I got back, like that first year after getting back from the jungle was like rebuild Phil phase. You know, it's like, what is Phil like? Who is Phil? What are Phil's values? You know, what are, who's the person I want to be? And as I'm discovering that, you, you know, you start taking on, you know, different, different parts of yourself and deciding you know, this, is, this is who I am or the world decides, I decide using the world around me who I am. Um, but I think it's important to know that like, it's not only that the, the work isn't over on yourself, you know, by getting up and doing my, my daily meditation and doing yoga when I need it and, you know, finding different um, the healing disciplines that I may not have explored or I have explored, but every day doesn't necessarily look the same. It's just a matter of continuing to do the work. But there did get to a point when I, I realized I needed to go back. Um, and something that Jesse talked about, he has talked about before from Heroic Arts, is that you know, we're kind of working ourselves out of the job. You take psychedelics so you don't have to take psychedelics anymore. Yeah. Um, so for me though, I felt like the first piece of my puzzle was purging pain, was purging. I couldn't even look at my darkness. I was afraid of the feeling of my own darkness. And then in the jungle, I was able to see it. And not only did I see it, I felt it and I was encompassed by it. Um, but I came home and that darkness felt like not gone, you know, I'm still, it's still in me. It's still part of that lives inside of me, but it doesn't, it's, it's not as big a piece of my puzzle as it used to be. Um, but the next piece was, was starting to heal parts of myself that I wasn't able to get to. There wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't there infinitely. I was there for a week in the jungle. Um, so I, I started getting this inkling that I needed to go back and address my spiritual self. So I got offered once again, didn't seek it out, but I was offered to go down to Mexico for another retreat. And this was just a few months ago and I went and did psilocybin and, and 5-MeO-DMT, otherwise known as BUFO, um, down, in, down in Mexico in this beautiful, uh, this beautiful beachfront uh, retreat space. And during that retreat, you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of powerful things that I experienced inside of myself. But one of the things that I was able to experience that I didn't think was possible was physical healing. You know, I never thought that psychedelics would bring me to a space where I could feel different. You know, I, I went to my first ceremony, stopped, stopped taking antidepressants, stopped taking benzos, no more Xanax, no more, all, that was all gone, but I was still taking pain pills. I was still taking uh, nerve blockers from my back, uh, and that was just my normal. And going back, before you go down to a retreat, you do a, a diet, and part of that diet, you know, like I mentioned, you know, I didn't eat ham, you don't have caffeine, no excessive sugar, no sugar, no excessive spice. And one of those things is you, you cut out all medications from your diet. So the, the last medication I was on, I had to stop. And it was, it was hard, it was, it was an opioid withdrawal. So I went into severe sleeplessness, panic attacks, depression, anxiety, and it was like I was having a, a, you know, ceremonies at night, you know, plant medicine ceremonies, but just my body detoxing. I'd be in the throes of pain. Um, and that was before even going down and taking the medicine down to Mexico. So I was able to stop taking my, my back medication. I went down there, and during one of the ceremonies, um, I, I didn't know I needed this physical healing, but I, I came out from a, from a deep part of the ceremony and the, you know, the healer had his hands on my back where I'd broken it, right on, my, right on like the left side, lower back. 
And I said, what, what do you, how did you know? And he said, how did I know what? And I said, that's exactly where I broke my back. And he said, I, I can't explain it. I just knew I had to, I just knew I had to be there. I knew I had to, to hold you there. And I shot up and I thought, I may, maybe I sunk back down into, into you know, the experience and I came out and I actually stood up and I, at the sky and I'm, my fists are in the air and I start yelling. I said, it's possible, it's possible. I just start yelling in ceremony. And in my head, I'm thinking it's possible to heal. It's possible to heal in this very moment. And I could feel myself, I could feel inside of myself shifting, you know, like the shaman that told me in Guatemala, I said, it's a choice. Yep. I didn't believe it. I was like, oh, you know, this, this, is, this is garbage. Like, it's not a choice. Like my body, I, I can show you the x-rays. Um, but I came home from, uh, from uh, Mexico I started moving, I started jogging, I started running. Uh, and you know, I'm not taking pills anymore. I'm not, you know, the, I never thought it was possible to, to heal until that. And, you know, I didn't think plant medicine offered that. Now that being said, I came home and I still had a lot to deal with. You know, I still had to integrate a lot of the hard lessons you know, with, with, with a mushroom ceremony down there. It's like you're just getting, it's almost like you're getting force fed, you know, drinking through a fire hose in the military when you're at a school and they're trying to, well, that's what, that's what, the, what my mind was doing to me. It was sending me all these messages and I had to get home and interpret them. You know, I had piles and piles of downloads from, from the medicine, from that experience. And now it's been, you know, six months later and I'm still processing the experience. I will still feel the echoes of those emotions in my soul that I'm still processing. And, you know, will I sit with the medicine again? I likely will. Um, do I feel like I need to? Do I feel like I need to run towards it? No, not in the slightest. I have, I have immense respect for the medicine. Um, but the work happens in every moment of every single day of how I respond to people, how I approach my life, the decisions I make, the conversations I have. Um, that's all integration. Like everything that I do say, feel, and am uh, right now is a product of the work that I've done both in and out of ceremony. Incredible. I mean, so it's sort of like everything now you're doing is intentional. Is that a good way of describing that's, it? That's a great way to describe it. Yeah, the, one of the phrases I like to say about uh, integration, because we just heard these amazing, um, profound stories about his experience. But after the ecstasy, the laundry. You know, you, you come home and you had this huge experience that was probably either the most difficult or the most this or the most that. A new, if you have a one out of 10 scale for like what the experience was, it's a 10. It's the biggest whatever thing you went through for some people. And, and then you come home and you know, you gotta talk to your wife. You gotta be with your kids. You gotta go back to your job. You gotta, you, you got to go back to the thing that maybe you were avoiding in the first place, or maybe you're not, you haven't been happy with in the first place, and you have to start readjusting these new awarenesses and intentions for your life into that perspective. So some people leave their jobs, some people get new relationships, some people's relationships get stronger. Some pe I mean, like a lot of stuff has to be torn down and put back together when you get home. And, and that's really where it is. I say this a lot as a coach is saying, you know, the real work, the real ceremony is afterwards. It's, it's coming back from this because yeah. like it's really easy. And it, it, as as you heard, it's not an easy process, but um, it's easy to just go down there and drink medicine in the jungle and let it do what it's going to do. But coming home and being autonomous and making the choices and keeping up with the habits that you know are the best for you, because you can totally go have one of these experiences and then just say, I don't care 
and start your old habits again. And then you're in this loop of like, well, I can just go back to the jungle every year or every couple of years. Or and, it didn't work. Or, it di or, yeah. they'll, or they'll say, oh, it didn't work for me because they didn't put any work in themselves. So one of the things he actually mentioned about him trying pork or different kinds of food with the diets that some of these programs have put you on uh, they clean your system out like you're very on a very clean strict diet so once you get your body to a point where you come back from the jungle and your body is probably as clean as it's ever been without you know medications without certain foods without certain things and you're just basically very baseline then I would say slowly start putting some of the stuff back in there and you might find that a burger doesn't feel as good as it used to. You know, you might, you might feel that like, oh, this, um, this extremely deep fried food that I was eating is now giving my belly ache, giving me belly aches, which anybody will tell you if you eat healthy for a long time and you eat something really greasy, it will be so, so as when you're integrating, you basically say like, is this good for me? And, and listen to your own autonomy, your own body, not the advertising, not the people around you. You kind of get your brain and your body back and you get to you from from all the influences that you may have had so you so slowly integrating back into that as opposed to like really paying attention to like oh i'm doing this because um they're drinking or they're eating this or they're doing that and even that becomes you start becoming more aware of is your intention behind it why do i want to eat this or why do i want to drink that oh it's because everyone else is i'm okay mm -hmm. you know i don't need to do that or oh, that's why I'm doing it. I can still do it that way, but now I know I'm doing it for that reason. And, and you can't avoid it. You become mm -hmm. so aware of when you are um, intentionally harming yourself, when you're going against your gut. You know, Prior to sitting with medis the medicine, um, I could easily, if I knew it wasn't good for me, I could do it anyway. I could ignore it and shove it down. Now, after, after working with plant medicine, I can't ignore those signs. I can't ignore that voice. It screams at me. It's like, you know you shouldn't be doing this right now. And if I say, well, screw you, I'm gonna do it anyway, to myself, well, my, myself fights back. You know, my body, my mind fights back. And I feel it very intensely now. You know, you, once you see that part of you, yourself, uh, you can never unsee it. I got, I've got to ask a question because through this transition too, you're, you had the opportunity to purge your mind, body, spirit, get back to maybe more of like the foundation, a baseline of which you could build something back up, you know? So there, it's not like you stripped everything away. Your family's still gonna be there, you know, mm -hmm. friends, you, you still want those relationships. You didn't break all of that away, but what you did is you tried to peel out, it sounds like, the parts that maybe you wanted to take away and chip that uh, stuff, you know? Um, but you, you talked about this mindfulness, and in your case, Phil, you came back for like a week and just tried to ease back in. How challenging was that though, where you're, you're in a position by food, um, surroundings and everything to be in peace in your head or in your body, and then you come back and we live in an environment with a lot of noise phones every i mean you know traffic everything yeah. so much stimulus what was that like it was extremely difficult to come back to that I even turn i remember turning my phone on when i was in the in the van on the way back to the, the airport in peru and i was looking at my phone and seeing notifications it was too much and i had to turn it off you know you get to the airport and all of a sudden there's noise and people are pushing and it, it was it's very overwhelming you know I, I tried to watch a movie on the on the flight back 
And I don't even remember what movie it was, but it was too disturbing to me. Like there was, you're so raw and so sensitive to, to feelings and energy and everything around you. Like I just, all I needed was pure light. I just needed things that I knew felt good. Like I needed to be in like Disney World, you know, not in, in the real world. Um, and really what helped me was, was my kids. You know, in, in the times that they were difficult, it allowed me to practice the things I learned. And then times where they weren't difficult, it allowed me not only an outlet for my love, but to be fully a vessel of their love in a way I'd never been able to. You know, that became a safe place, a safe, a safe space for me with my family. That's, that is a controllable space because I know that that's where my love is. I know, you know what my kids feel like. I know what you know, an embrace my wife feels like. And that was really where, that, you know, that was where it started. And from there, I would only go out in short spurts. And I only go to certain places and I ignored a lot of phone calls. Um, from, from people that I knew, or now that I, that I sat with the medicine that I knew weren't feeding my soul in, in any positive way. So it was really an, an evaluation, a constant evaluation, it still is a constant evaluation of the things that I want to allow into my life. You know, there's a, when I got home, I felt like Buddha. You know, like, oh, it's all, it's all good. You know, everything's, it's chill, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. And then as time goes on, you lose that, you know, you lose that that hyper enlightened state and you become, you know, when they say before enlightenment, you chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, you chop wood and carry water. So I had to slowly get back to chopping wood and carrying water. Um, and then once you get there and you're like, okay, this is the real world. Um, how, what can I bring from what I learned into my everyday life? And while I'm not sitting with the medicine, while I can't feel that bubble of bliss that I came out with, well, what can I do to help me maintain that peace that, that I got from it? So, I thought that I actually thought this was going to be like a magic pill for me when I after I had it because I like I said I had no idea that um, that I needed the healing and and I I was in what I call a bliss bubble uh, which most people have um, some don't he did not he did not have a bliss bubble when he came home he was very sensitive and needed needed that space I was on cloud nine like I felt amazing and I went back to Iraq on a contract thinking that um, that I could basically conquer the world at that point and I um, and there and I kept that that feeling for a long time by keeping up with a very healthy diet with keeping up with a very healthy experience but I started to think that the point of this was to never get upset again was to never get angry again was to was to so to isolate myself from the negative stuff, good vibes only bull that I realized was bull in the end because um, I realized that the point of this existence is not to stay in a, in a good vibes, happy mood all the time. It's about to be able to withstand any storm that comes at you and stay centered, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. So um, first I turned this contract, which felt like to me, like a deployment, like a contract, you know, you're, you're kind of always on yellow or red line, you know, with your, with your awareness, like your everything else. It went from that to feeling like home to me. I started really getting to know the, the Iraqis and, and the people I was working with and, and having deeper, more meaningful conversations and, um, and really doing my job much, much better than I ever did before I drank ayahuasca because I wasn't taking things so personal and I was much more open to criticism and everything else that was going on in my life. So, and just a much more open person. So, but I, uh, I actually remember one of the times I, I crashed, I got in this, I got really angry and everyone was really surprised that I got angry because I used to be so angry all the time, but I got really angry and I actually called my friend. I didn't have a coach. 
I called my friend who was at the facility with me and I said, hey, uh, Lee, do you ever get angry? And he laughed at me. He's like, of course I get angry. Like everybody gets angry. And, and he says, what you do with the anger, that's important. So I took that along with me when it came to integration with, um, with my clients or with, with people that are working in the medicine space is that like, this is about learning to move within these emotional states, not pushing them away with medication, not trying to do meditation out of it, not anything else, but learning that this is okay that I'm feeling this and to allow yourself to go through it. And that is some of the hardest work out there because we, if you're meditating to try to get to stop being angry, you're not meditating. You're just trying to stop being angry. If you're, if you're doing yoga to, to like help to push away a problem that you have in your life, you're still avoiding the problem. You're not actually dealing with it. You're just doing these practices to make yourself feel high for yeah. a, a period of time. And that's what people can do with psychedelics as well. They can start to bypass their problems with, um, with using this as an escape or something that's like, oh, I went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. But this is an onion that will just never stop. You can, you can do this for a very long time but the so the point I think with integration is if you really give yourself that time frame is learning to to use those tools of resilience that you may have learned in ceremony into your everyday life that like I am gonna be okay through this like it may be hard now or maybe great now but I'm gonna move I'm gonna move through this and I think Phil experienced that with his experience he talked about being in a very uncomfortable place with ayahuasca but it proved to him that he can move through it that he can get through it I think there, there's two sides to it too. You know, you were talking about the struggle and the difficulty of it too. You know, we had a conversation this morning that, you know, as veterans, you know, we we like things that are hard. You know, especially yeah. if you come from a certain part of the military, you know, you don't feel like you're like you're earning it or like you don't you haven't gotten anything out of it if you haven't really earned it if it hasn't really sucked. Um, and there's, you know, like part of my integration, part of my journey is realizing that things don't always have to suck. You know, it doesn't, doesn't always have to be miserable. It doesn't always have to be painful. You know, there, a lot of people, when, when I tell them about my, my ayahuasca experience, they think, well, that's all psychedelics. And it's not, you know, that's not all, all these journeys. Um, and it doesn't, doesn't always have to suck, even though I'm admittedly terrified of psychedelics. Every time I, I, I'm always scared, like I'm always scared going in. Recently, it's changed though. You know, I had an experience uh, in Mexico uh, with 5-MeO-DMT. They call it the, the God molecule. Um, and they say it brings you to what your version of God is. And I was able to feel the most raw he- moment of humanity you know, of, 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 that I've ever, that I could ever imagine in a million years. It brought me to my source. And you know, that's an example that showed me, you know, allowed me to feel like a child again, allowed me to feel ease, allowed me to feel what pure, unadulterated happiness could feel like. Now, if that experience, people have had rough experiences with as well, with that medicine. Um, but the journey has been, a lot of the journey has been like being okay with things not being difficult. Um, and I think that's, that's mm-hmm. a really important thing that, that, you know, as veterans especially, coming from the military, um, that we have to you know, recognize about this journey is that there are gonna be times that are really hard, but there could also be times that are really beautiful, you know, and, and easier, you know, it's like, allowing you to give a gift to yourself, you know, to experience what heaven might feel like, but also to me may experience what hell might feel like if that's what you need. Yeah, a phrase I like to use with, uh, with the vets that I work with is, um, we're always gearing up for battle, right? Like, I'm gonna go fight my demons. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do this. And Phil went down with the mentality of, I'm gonna go fight my demons the same way I did. And guess what? When you go looking for a fight, you're probably gonna find one 
whether that be in psychedelics or in life. If you're going looking for a fight, you'll probably find one. So I like to say, like, how about we make some peace with our demons as opposed to like going to fight them? Because you've been fighting them now for what you said, 18 years you were fighting before that? Like, how long have you been fighting these demons? 18 years? So you want to go to the jungle now and just go 10 rounds with them? Why not? sit down at the table and make some peace with them so we can just be done with this. So the fight will continue forever, but why don't we make some peace with where you're at and like accept where you're at. And that, that, and I can even feel it right now as we're talking, like, as I say those words, you can feel the, the, how it releases like, ah, yeah, like I can just sit and we can have a conversation. It doesn't have to be a 10 round knockout. Like, you know, it can be, it can be that. And, and the idea when we hear a lot of phrases, especially in this space, like doing the work, right? And in the United States, work does not mean pleasure, right? We think work means has to be the grind, has to be the, like, do you see these words I'm using about how we describe our career base, how we describe things about taking care of our family or anything? It's the grind, it's this, it's that. And, and that doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. The work can be learning to relax. To play. To play. Yeah. But we, it's these words that catch in our head and we immediately, like when I grew up, what work was to me when I was watching my dad meant waking up at 4.30 in the morning, driving to a job he really didn't like to support his family, which he loved. But he, he was like, I don't really like my job, but I have to drive 45 minutes at 4.30 in the morning every day to do it. And I was like, well, I don't want to go to school. He's like, well, I don't want to go to work, but I got to go to work and you got to go to school and you got to do your work. So work, 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 work was always negative. Never was this, this like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm growing instead of working, like I'm growth, that there's a growth process happening. And growth, we all liked growth as a kid, I wanna grow up, you know? But so, so it's these little nuances and language and things that we do in our life that, that really change it. And going down to do healing uh, work or growth is um, it, for veterans, we, we may think that we didn't get a lot out of it had we not suffered. Um, because that's what work meant. Like we, we suffered through it and we earned something from it. But you can grow a lot from just getting a hug from a person at the right time, from, from getting, um, seeing your kid walk for the first time, you can grow a lot. You know, you can grow a lot from many of these positive experiences that we have. And even me, when I was in the jungle, I was still in that marine mode. Like if I wasn't suffering in the medicine, it didn't mean it was a deep experience. I was like, I could have gone way deeper and it was really light. Those are the words I would use when I didn't like suffer through the process when really it was just a nice night of me like relaxing and having like a breath of fresh air and just enjoying what was going on. But I was like, ah, that was okay. I needed to get like crucified for whatever reason to, to make it mean something. And, and that is, um, and, and I think that's a misconception, especially among veterans is that we need to suffer in order for it to matter. Yeah. And um, I'm but here to when say- when you spend a large portion of your life being told you got to get to work at 6.30 and, and be thrown up by 7.45 and that's the only way that good PT happens yep. and stuff that's like it. that. Totally. It's, it's <laughs> just, it, like I said, it's, it's the mindset that, that everybody goes in with um, being that type A personality. And um, is that kind of some of the pre-work, is that kind of help kind of take down those shields a little bit? And I would say so. I'd say the preparation work really helps because we start to really narrow in on um, what their intention is. 
and what kind of language you're using around their intention about like how do they feel about this stuff and and really getting into like why are you actually doing this like what are you really looking for and and sometimes they don't know and that's totally fine like they don't really like they're dancing around the subject of what they know and when they get out there they really find out and and so like that preparation work really helps them set up to when they come home because these they already have some mindfulness tools added to their toolbox that they can now are much easier to access after the medicine. They may or may not have been practicing before they even went. Absolutely. So it's like kind of a confirmation of learning at that point, like the crawl, walk, run phase, like you're, you're walking through the jungle, now you're running back at the house trying to take everything that you've learned and putting it implemented uh, yeah. on. And the, yeah. the qual rock the qual the crawl walk run phase is something that he was describing with his integration. He got back and he could only crawl. Yep. Like he was so sensitive and he was so open to these things. And he also said the word like rebirth. So these these words I like to mix up and say like it can be like a rebirth, so treat yourself like you would a baby. He even said, I need to be in Disneyland around love and comfort. What, what a newborn needs the same thing, right? So you're learning to walk, talk, act all over again sometimes. Not to say like you're a baby, you still ha you're still you, but you're not sure who you are anymore and what, what fits. And not in a bad way. No, Not, not no. like, oh, I don't know who I am kind yeah. of way, like what is, what's real, and more like in a way like, what do I really enjoy now? Like, like kind of a, like a excitement almost. Yeah, you like, get to rediscover yeah. the world. Yeah, you get to see it through a different lens yeah. at this point. I found, exactly. that, I found that psychedelics don't usually show you who you are, they show you who you're not. And you may come, you may come home recognizing what you are yeah. not anymore and you may have surrounded yourself with things that mm. you're not. So being able to say like, that's not me, that's not me, because now you at least have a better idea of who you're not so you can discover who you really are. Have you guys tried a personality test before and after? Like say somebody takes yeah. an Enneagram or somebody mm -hmm. takes a disc assessment or something like that mm -hmm. beforehand. And then but I, can look, I can look around my life though and see how the yeah. personality, you know? Yeah. Like I, I drove a truck since like, since I first had enough money to buy a truck when I, when I first joined the army. And then when that truck died, I got another truck. And I drive like an 08 F, uh, F-150 with 200,000 miles. And I got back and like six months after my, my trip to Peru, I was like, I'm not a truck guy anymore. I don't, I don't fit this truck. This truck doesn't fit me. I'm over it. It's not who I am. You know, and I realized I was trying to fit the mold of what I thought a soldier, what I thought an officer should be, what he should drive, what it should look like, how he should stand and act. And I realized I'm not that person anymore. You know, it's simple as what you drive, what you listen to. You know, it's, well, it's exciting though to figure out like who, who am I now? Yeah. And how much of everybody's everyday life is reflections of what's going on inside of them? Why they buy the clothes they buy? Why they listen to the music they listen to? Why they got the job they got? Why, like all these things, a lot of them are reflections of their trauma in their life. Why they act the way they yeah. do is certain trauma. So if that trauma is then healed, you might not need to drive a. 200 miles per hour on a motorcycle anymore. Yeah. You may not need to um, boost your ego by beginning a brand new huge truck every couple of weeks. You know, whatever you're doing to like to make yourself feel better, to numb that that pain in there. Yeah. If that pain's gone, you may think that oh, I don't need to do that anymore. And a lot of people explain it as losing the ego, right, or killing the ego. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that's kind of it's kind of a blanket term, right? And you guys talked about you know some. Not necessarily something has to die, but something's kind of a rebirth. Yeah. Um, and telling you who you're not. And it, I think that's uh, kind of plays into that, that death of ego or however you want to explain it is showing you who you're not. Oh, uh, yeah. You absolutely. might not be that guy. An analogy I like about, um, about the ego and what happens with psychedelics is sometimes 
the ego, for those that don't know, is, is just your sense of identity, who you think you are. And sometimes who you really are, like your true self is like here and your ego is like here. And so what psychedelics can do or, or even therapies or other modalities can do is help to get that gap closed. So you can be more, your sense of self and your true self can be more aligned as opposed to I am this, I am this, I am yeah. this and not. And, and yeah. so you can get closer to that. So it's less about killing the ego. It's more about closing that gap yeah. of who you think you are to who you really are. Allowing that personal vulnerability to kind of look at yourself and say, hey, this yeah. is what I am. And being okay with it. Yeah, being okay with it. This, this is who I yeah. am now. And sometimes the, you re, your, who you think you are resists so hard, you have to go through what feels like a death experience for it to actually like relax, to get to that, close that gap. Because you can't kill the ego. We need yeah. it, obviously. Yeah. Like we, we all have one. Like if we didn't need it, we wouldn't have it. Yeah. Like I need my gallbladder, I have it. So. <laughs> It's funny that uh, there was an episode a while back that we did where somebody was describing um, some treatment that they had received. And they said, you know, back in the ancient days when Native Americans would go to, to war and they'd come back, there was a healing process that took place, right? Um, and then he was talking about, I think it was the Romans or something, that they had the labyrinth. So they would go in with all of their armor on, but when they came through the labyrinth on the other side, the whole idea was to start shedding pieces of this armor so that when they left, all of it's gone and they're back to just being, you know, a non-warrior, a non-soldier, or whatever type of uh, person again um, is th that's kind of what I'm taking away it's, from it and interpreting. It's funny because what you're describing is we had an English, uh, a British dude who was a facilitator down there, Maddie. Uh, he was he was the guy that walked me through. He, I called him my guardian angel when I was in Peru. And one of the things that he started talking to me from the very as soon as I got there was that exact thing, exactly what you said. It's time to take off your armor. It's time to set down your sword. No one had ever told me that. No one had ever told me that it was okay. I got out the army and I, I had realized that I had been on for decades at that point. I had just been always ready. You know, when I was overseas, I was even when I was going to the training event, like I was always, always on and I was always on guard. And I got out the army and I was like, cool, I'm, I'm still, let's bring it. And having someone put in those terms and say, it's okay. Lay down your sword, man, you're a warrior. And just redefine what that means. It's, it's not what you think or thought it was. It's, it's, it's what you can be. It's, it's, it's being soft, it's being loving, it's being vulnerable. You know, you're still a warrior. You can still defend your family and, and yourself and, and those you love when you need. Uh, but at the same time, like you don't need to walk around carrying 100 pounds of armor on you. You don't need to have your sword at the ready all the time. It's okay, lay it down. Uh, that's, that's something that if I hadn't gone you know, to the jungle. If I hadn't, you know, been involved with organizations that, that have helped the transition, you know, the, the systems that are in place, you know, the, the you know, VA, the Veterans Administration, the, um, I have had my, my most significant healing outside of the system that, that didn't teach me that, you know. Yeah, you had some questions and stuff that you, uh, you brought with you that we had talked about where most people are probably, you know, at times often, um, thinking about some of the things that you're going to cover. And these were probably some of the questions that were even on your mind prior to going down there. Um, and I think they're going to be very valuable to those that are watching or listening to this, uh, these episodes. So 
Yeah, we, we develop these questions both. So Jared, as, as a coach, gets these questions a lot. And myself, you know, with American Yogi and being very vocal about my use of plant medicine, people send me messages constantly. So we wanted to, to, to write them down and talk about them in a way that hopefully answers it for as many people that may be sitting with these same questions. Um, so a question I, I get a lot is, I'm, I'm a contractor, or I'm a first responder, or I'm a cop. You know, when I get back, will I be able to still do my job? Um, I will say that for myself, um, after my experience as um, when I was a contractor and went back to my contract, I uh, it didn't lose my edge. I actually felt like I was a more effective and efficient contractor and warrior than I was before I left. Because when I left, I had, I, I was, I think I said this before, I took it, I took criticism a lot harder. I took things much more personal. I was much more in my head. I had a much, a much more of a storyline about what I was doing on that contract. But when all of that was released from the medicine experience, I felt like I could do my job actually better, more efficiently. And I wasn't hanging on to some of the stuff that was, um, challenging as as much i was e it was easier to let that go so um and a lot of marines and and soldiers and everything else that i work with um, are scared of losing their edge right they think that their their stuff is what's making them stay in that in that hardness that that edge and i would say that it's not going to make you lose your edge it it just might make you drop a little bit of the weight that's holding you back from honing that edge even better what if i go crazy or i have a psychotic break Okay, so um, I laugh at this question because sometimes the answer is to go crazy, but in a safe environment. So you're going to, sometimes you can feel like you're going crazy on a psychedelic medicine. Um, but these medicines are very, very safe. Um, they're very effective. And if you look across the board, as far as what we've learned from research and, and uh, medical testing that we've done all the way since the 1940s, um, that there is that people don't stay in a psychedelic state forever unless there are contradicting medical um, things that are going on in your life, such as like schizophrenia, uh, manic bipolar, other things like that. Those those types of people should probably avoid working with psychedelics because they can have adverse risk to their consciousness afterwards. But for most of us that um, are not in those places, that you you would probably not have to worry about it as long as you are in the right set and setting. If you have someone around you that can make sure that you are safe, that you, that you feel trusting about, and that the environment is a controlled place. So a place like a music festival or at a party or something if you're worried about going crazy that's probably not the place to do it because people aren't there to watch you and take care of you they're there to party themselves they're not thinking about what's best for you so you want to be around people who are are thinking about what is best and most safe for you when you're doing these things so that that actually leads into the next question so how how do i know if it is safe for me if i have a history of clinical depression if i have um, if I have bipolar disorder, if I have allergies, how do I know if I'm not allergic to the medicine? So first of all, I would tell anybody that um, each psychedelic is a different, um, a different contraindication. There are some that have very, very little contraindications, such like psilocybin or cannabis, for instance, has very little contraindications. Um, but ayahuasca, since it's working with an MAOI, it has a lot of contraindications, which is why there's a special diet before you have to go on to it. Um, none of these medicines I would suggest using um, SSRI compounds because there is a heightened risk of 
of serotonin syndrome, which can be deadly and cause some really major issues of the mind. So if you're going to be working with psychedelics, I would highly suggest that you talk with your doctor about weaning yourself off of your, of your SSRIs and don't just cold turkey your SSRIs. If you're like, I'm going to go do this thing and I'm going to go do mushrooms with my friends or, or whatever you want to do. Um, don't just cold turkey your stuff because that can be dangerous, including deadly. Like you yep. can cause suicide ideation yes. and other things. So please don't just, I'm going to cold turkey this thing and go off. Talk with your doctor about it. There is HIPAA. You can talk to them about, you know, I'm thinking about doing psychedelics. And and so uh, do your research about this. Um, as far as safety goes, um, Make, we talked about this earlier in the podcast. If you if you make sure that you have a a, a person who is practiced in the space, who keeps you in and makes you feel safe about like taking care of you and all those things. But most of the people you're going to find are not physicians, including myself. I am not a physician. I do not have medical training in these things. All the stuff that I'm telling you now is based on my own personal experience. So anybody out there who's curious about psychedelics, please do your own research and also talk with your doctor. All right, so what if I have a bad trip and I come home and I'm, I'm even worse? Uh, so the bad trip thing, that is, um, that is an interesting perspective because, um, Phil, as you just talked about, it sounds like you did not have a pleasurable experience not pleasurable, in no. Peru, um, but you grew from it. So the bad trip, usually I would ask anybody who said I had a bad trip, well, where were you? Who was around you? And a lot of people will say, well, I was at uh, my friend's house or I was in a basement or I was at a, at a festival or I was at these places. And I would say, like, well, did you feel safe at those places? And because it's going to amplify that, that 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 place that you're feeling when you're there. So if you have a bad trip and it makes you and you feel like it makes you worse. I would find community or people to talk with you about this experience to help you unpack it. Just like if you had a bad experience on deployment, don't hold it in. Talk with your boys that were out there with you. Talk with everyone that was around in that situation. Find a community. Find a coach. Find um, there's there's a wonderful organization out there called Fireside Project that that literally it's an on-call hotline that you can call in your experience, after your experience, before your experience, and they will give you. Uh, free information and help you talk you through your process. I know for me, you know, when I came back from a particularly hard experience, uh, I was scared that I was always going to be that way. I, I had a, a really difficult ceremony and I thought, well, I'm, I'm forever going to be struggling. Um, and I think that it's important to note that even if something is hard, if something is really difficult, doesn't mean it's going to be with you forever. Mm -hmm. uh, so which psychedelic is right for me? So that's also a pretty loaded question because there's so many to choose from. Um, in my opinion, um, based on what you are getting called to the most is the one you should research the most and the one that you should probably go with. But um, certain psychedelics have a, have a faster and most effective chance to help with certain things. Like right now, Ibogaine or Iboga has an amazing effectiveness for helping with addiction, TBI, and physical issues as well. So not that you can't get that from ayahuasca or mushrooms, but there has been reports and medical journals have shown that people who have gone to Ibogaine with opium withdrawals in the throes of them, after one Ibogaine ceremony or, or session, they come out of it with no withdrawal symptoms and no cravings. And that's that you can find that online yourself by looking these things up and that's profound itself. So if you're in throes of a really nasty addiction or you have some TBI symptoms, that's- Especially in the, in the, in the case of, you know, big pharma or over, over 
the what polypharmacy that's taking place with the opioid epidemic right now. I yeah. think that would be something for, you know, maybe if someone's struggling with that, it'd be time to explore that. Absolutely. Um, as far as depression or mental health and everything else, I think that um, mushrooms are a wonderful way of looking at it. They're, they're very safe, they're very effective, and they do not have a lot of contraindications. For deeper work that involves the same types of things, including addictions, I think ayahuasca is um, is an amazing substance to use. Um, but that one, and same with ibogaine, and actually all of them need to be really maintained about where and when and who you were doing them with. Well, I get addicted to psychedelics. Um, I, I think I just covered um, about addiction with, with psychedelics. Yeah. They seem to be an anti-addictive drug. Yeah. Now, we did cover this a little bit with veterans. Uh, veterans do like things that are difficult. And sometimes you can get kind of hooked on the difficult experience of learning about yourself. So and I say kind of mean like you're not, you don't feel like you need it to function the next day. Like you're not, oh man, if I don't get my psychedelic fix, I'm Hair not gonna, yeah, <laughs> like I'm, not, I'm not gonna be able to make it to work today. Like that's not these, uh, um, there is no medical journals or anything that shows that these are physically addictive. Now, that being said, ketamine is physically addictive, so that was something that it's not one of those things that um, it, it can, should be taken regularly. But most of these other psychedelics are non-addictive. The experience can be very profound, but I will say that it's hard to do them consistently as well as chemically taking them like every day, they actually start to lose potency and they stop working. So if I were to take mushrooms, a large dose of mushrooms today, and then take that same dosage tomorrow and the next day and the next day, in about seven days, they would stop actually giving me any psychoactive effects. So it's very hard to chase this experience um, without giving it some space in between. All right, I'm sold. I'm listening to you talk about psychedelics for two hours and I wanna go. Um, so do I have to go to the jungle to do this? Can I do it in the States? So if we're talking about ayahuasca, um, well, first of all, I want to say legally, you are not allowed to do it in the States without, without fear of, of having some sort of legal, legal issues coming your way, whether that be arresting, fines, or, um, or even imprisonment for up to, you know, up to 10 years in some of these things. All of these substances in the United States are Schedule One substances. None of them have changed. This includes cannabis, everybody. Like, it's still a Schedule One substance. And if they really wanted to, they can take you and put you in prison for a minimum of 10 years so all of these things doing in the states you're doing at your own risk and that's why it's so underground and that's why they can be dangerous so i would say one of the reasons that we do it in south america in south america is because you can get rid of that paranoia in the back of your head of like oh the cops are going to come bust in here and i think the one of the most dangerous parts of psychedelics is the possibility of getting arrested more than the substance itself that being said no, you can find them in the States. You can find underground circles. You can find these things. Um, as a person who works in this space, I would say be very, very, very careful about who you're doing this with. There's no board of ethics. There's no anybody protecting you on this aspect. You are participating in a legal thing, no matter if someone says it's a legal church or not, it's still schedule one substance, not legalized. So um, you don't have to go to Peru and Ayahuasca itself, um, I'll tell you from my experience from working with ayahuasca in the States and also working with ayahuasca in Peru, we are not doing what they are doing in, in Peru. 
We just are not. We're talking about a lineage of people that have been trained to work with this medicine for thousands of years, passed down by their family through these prop, through this shamanic process that's going on down there. I'm literally watching these people doing things like spiritual or emotional surgery on people down there. And here in the States, we're getting kind of close. And what I mean by that is like putting eye shades on with headphones and drinking ayahuasca is not the same thing about what the Shipibo are doing down south. The Shipibo are doing something that is so much more outside of what we are imagining here. So I've actually worked with plenty of people who have worked with ayahuasca in the States and they have found themselves worse off. And then when they go down to Peru, the healers down there will actually clean up the mess that was caused from them being wow. in other ceremonies because it wasn't done properly with the right with the right amount of like intention and movement behind it. So um, we do not know what we're working with here. We're a bunch of monkeys with with plants, and we don't know what we're doing. We think we know what we're doing, but our medical establishment's been around for 200 years, and they've been doing this for over a thousand years. So um, we're kind of young in this space. This isn't a for us, it's a psychedelic renaissance and a movement. For them, that's just how it's been for, for Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, it's Tuesday. Exactly. Sweet. So um, maybe now this is a great opportunity to talk about your specific program of which you're involved in and um, tell us a little bit more about that and how you're helping a lot of these people go through this healing process. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So. I work for an organization called Heroic Hearts Project. I am the lead integration coach for Heroic Hearts Project. So when we started in 2017, I was the only coach, and now we have a pretty robust amount of veteran coaches that come through. So let me break down what we do as a program from start to finish. So as a veteran, you would go onto our website, and then you would sign on, and you would apply to go to a retreat. From that point, then you would be basically put on a list that we would then call and we do a vetting call. And in that vetting call, we just get a baseline for like where you are at, what your intention may be, and if you medically would be uh, a good candidate for this. And once we have that and we get you get past that first stage, then we would send you on to what we would do is for a medical screening. So then we have a licensed medical professional who would then do an evaluation on you to make sure that this is a safe protocol for yourself to go through this and, and to make sure that you're not on any contraindicated medications or that you are mentally stable enough to, to make it through this process without some extra work in, in there. After that, once that's approved, then you are then put onto another list and we would hopefully in that vetting call ask you what retreats or what dates would work best for you. And then you would tell us, so we would then get you on, signed on with that. Then you'd get an email from us that says, hey, welcome aboard, here's the date you're going, here's your first call. So we have a really robust integration program. So you get 12 uh, sessions total with a, with, a, with a coach. You have six one-on-one -on -one sessions with an individual coach, which is also what I do, and that they'll help you prepare three sessions before and then three sessions when you get back from your experience. And that doesn't mean it's just three. We can offer more, but it's really where you are at and we can add on more to that. You also get three before calls with your group that's going down there. So you're not just going down there with a bunch of strangers. You get to meet the people on a Zoom call and figure out who they are, what unit they were in, why they're there, all in that. In that comfort level. Absolutely. So once you get that, then you come back. Usually the, the when you come back, those la the last three calls with the group, it's not so awkward. Everyone's just like, you just got back from of a deployment together. Everyone's just like really, really close. You gain a community after that. I think yes. that's a huge part of it. That I wouldn't ignore it all. Yeah. Heroic yeah. Hearts like organically creates a community that you're now a part of. You know, well, I, yeah, if you struggle with somebody, you're automatically tied to them yeah, forever. Yeah, trauma bonds. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, and trauma bros. <laughs> <laughs> and so you you have these six integration uh, calls with your with your coach one on one. You get a, and you get six integration calls with your group um, with a group coach as well. So after all of that process that you've gone through, um, well, and in between those six calls, I got a little caught up. That's when you would have your one week time down in the jungle or in Mexico or wherever we would we would sign you up depending on what medicine and who you'd be working with so uh, we work right now we work with uh, with two places we work in in Terrapoto Peru at a, a center called La Medicina and then we also work with a woman named Dr. Andrea who is works in Mexico for us and does private retreats for for our uh, for our veterans so um, once you go through that, you have your, your three ceremonies on the back end. I mean, ceremonies, your, your three sessions on the back end with your coach. And then you um, and then you would be added to our alumni group. And to our alumni group is pretty much anybody who's completed the program. And we do monthly alumni calls where we basically all can get together. Anybody who's been through this experience through heroic hearts, as you said, building that community. And we can we start having calls about integration. We start talking about deeper topics and because coming back from this experience sometimes can be like coming back from a deployment um, and people ask you about it, kind of like, how was Iraq? And you're like, if you haven't been there, you don't know. So it can be very hard sometimes to connect even with your closest friends that haven't been through this. So maybe curious to everything else. So we host these alumni calls so everyone can have an opportunity to like get back to that community and talk with each other about their experiences and where they're at with their integration. Um, and then after that, we, if you feel like you want to be a coach or you want to uh, contribute to the organization in some other way, we will nurture that and help you in, in that direction as well with, with coaching, with uh, admin work, with whatever we need at that point. Um, what else is really cool about this is we just merged with the HOPE project. So the HOPE project is basically the same thing that we are doing, but for military spouses. So these, um, so military members or, or veterans will go on our retreats and then when they come home, their spouses will now have an opportunity to go have their own experience. Because as Phil said, man, it can be difficult. And you not have the language to come home to to talk with your spouse about what you just went through. But they also could be getting some healing from this experience as well. Not just because they have their own stuff, but there's a lot of trauma that anybody who's a vet <laughs> and, and has a long-term marriage knows that you as a veteran have caused a lot of, of pain in the family with the deployments, with the mentality, with a lot of stuff. Not to say that we're evil, but we're, we're in pain. So pain resonates to the family. So we want to be able to give a full spectrum healing to the family. So we allow the spouses to go on their own retreat to get their own healing. And then we can kind of merge back together with that same program, three sessions with a, an individual coach, three sessions with a group, and then going out to the, the center. So the same program just for spouses. Would would you recommend like a, a spouse group going together like as husband and wife doing it at the same time or was it better to stagger in my experience I would say no it's better to go by yourself um, a lot of us have codependency issues with our with our spouses and we don't even know and I don't even want to call them codependency issues just natural codependency we we people say this all the time I've lost myself in my relationship like I don't know who I am without this person so going down there is really empowering for yourself but say say Phil was having that exact experience he was talking about and his wife was in the room would she be able to think about her own stuff that she needs to work on while Phil is going through that. 
would I be able to go through my own stuff with my with my wife going through her thing on yeah, right next to me? My wife being the nurturer she is probably wouldn't exactly probably wouldn't and, immerse herself. And we want we yeah. want everyone to go as deeply into themselves as possible. So um, one of the reasons why we do not do couples retreats is because we want people to really get back into their own saddle and start having mm -hmm. some autonomy in their life. And, and, and we give away a lot of our power in our relationships, not in a bad way, just naturally. We just do this. There's lots of compromise and conversation that comes. So it's good to get back to yourself for a minute before you go back into your relationship and, and kind of try on that, that shirt, that nice comfy shirt that you've been wearing for so long. What is uh, the cost or what do people have to put as a cash outlay and that kind of stuff? So we work on a sliding scale because um, believe it or not, uh, veterans with PTSD are usually not in the best financial place in their life. So um, we work from anything basically like where you can give and we, we have done um, and anything that they can put into it is the best uh, that they can. So if someone's at a place where they're barely making ends meet and they can't go to, they can't spend thousands of dollars to go to Peru, we will work with them and make it hundreds of dollars, if not less. Um, if there's a person who's capable of paying for their plane tickets, we will, will hopefully they'll help them pay their plane tickets. Anything that they can contribute will go to that veteran that really needs the help. So if they can pay for their whole retreat, which on average costs $5,000, total for the for this whole this whole program per veteran so if we can if they want to give five thousand dollars to pay for their thing that will pay for the guy who can't spend more than a hundred or two hundred dollars on this experience um, but again we found it very important that people have some sort of skin in the game when it comes to investing in their own healing so we want people to be honest about where they're at so that way we can work with people and we're not here to put people out and basically not be able to pay rent because they have to they're going to do this thing we want to work with them to make sure that that's going on so the the answer to your question is it's a sliding scale makes sense so you guys have just now merged hero hearts project and american yogi myself as phil sussman has merged into <laughs> heroic hearts i'll say you know i've, I've brought what i what i can you know, I think a while back on the podcast, I, I talked about my journey and everything that I'd done, how it keeps kind of piling on to the next, my next stage in life. And I feel like everything that I have done in my life, uh, the hard things, the, the things I've learned, my, you know, photography, my yoga, the shirt, everything that I've done makes sense in my, my path now, which has been working with heroic hearts. You know, the, we started making shirts for them and 100% of profits. It's not like, oh, buy these shirts and 10% will go back to vets. 100% of, of our sweat equity uh, goes right back to heroic hearts. So everything that I do now, you know, I, I see, you know, we have our own retreats. It's Amer American Yogi, you know, things that I do. Um, they're still under the American Yogi uh, umbrella, uh, but I've been pouring myself and everything I can into contributing for heroic hearts. And, you know, I do see that as, as my, my next path of service. How does somebody find out more and, and get a hold of you to ask questions or to learn more about this program? So the easiest way of doing that is you can either find us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, or uh, LinkedIn. And, um, or you can go to our website, which is www.heroicheartsproject.org. And on there, there's a contact us and frequently asked questions and everything else, as well as how to apply and much more in depth uh, detail about our program and how we serve veterans. So that, that's the easiest way of getting a hold of um, ourselves and, and getting questions asked. That's where the uh, application portal is as well. That's Absolutely. Where, you, where you're gonna fill out your application. Yeah, if, if it'll be interested. on that website. Okay. If anybody wants to contact me and ask me about my experiences or you know, the future, uh, live American Yogi, L-I-V-E, American Yogi or AmericanYogi.com. Awesome. 
appreciate both Phil, you and Jared, especially it's good to see you again, Phil, always, but um, good to meet you as well, Jared, and uh, glad you both came all this way in order to share your whole journey and the story of the program. And um, hopefully people uh, can listen to this and if nothing else, take away that there are programs out there of which uh, they're trying to help veterans in various different ways. And some of them have already been accepted by the, the VA, the medical community and all of those types of things. And I think something like this, perhaps in time, might find its way in that same type of space um, because of the changes that we've seen. Uh, but uh, again, I thank you uh, guys for what you're doing for veterans out there and, and everything you do. So thank you guys for having us. Yeah, Absolute privilege to speak really with you. I really appreciate this. Yeah, appreciate it. You.